bringing their problems to me for as long as I can remember. I have one of those faces that just says, tell me what's going on. And now I have one of those podcasts that says, go ahead, tell me what's going on. Welcome to Mess in Progress. Hey guys, and welcome to Mess in Progress with myself, Gina Brion, and my lovely co-host slash sleepy person right next to me, Catherine G. Medusa. Catherine, say hi to the people. Hello, people. I am sleepy. I literally only slept two hours. Two. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. Like, I can't sleep for some reason. I feel like there's, I don't know, just like the brain doesn't turn off, and then Next thing I know, it's daylight, so now it's harder to sleep because daylight. Does so, weed not help you sleep? Because I'm like, weed is amazing. No, I only have, um, right now I have like edibles, but I, they're hybrids, and hybrids don't do well for me. Because, you yeah, you know, I, yeah, you need to give me an indica. It's going to like completely relax me. But if there's sativa, I like activities with sativa. So if you're giving me, like, it's literally telling my brain, do 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 and my body's like me you know i don't really feel like it mm-hmm. yeah so i can't like i'm t- i'm lazy but my brain also doesn't want to turn off so most, i don't like taking it most weed makes me tired it's just like most of it like you can give me sativa you can give me indica you can give me hybrid i'm like, oh. like the only thing that actually does slow my brain down is any type of weed you give me where it's like okay my brain now feels except from one strain that was in a cartridge it wasn't like a like actual bud it was a cartridge and i can't even remember what it was but like i would hit that and i would just want to work i'd be like oh my god i'm so focused right now but and i wish i could remember what strain that was i feel like i remembered that one though yeah. because i feel like me and you got a lot done one day on that but that's the thing most weed still gets me very paranoid i don't know why i'm still one of those people so it depends you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I need to find a weed that works for sleep, one that works for, like, creative stuff, yeah. and then never veer, like, stay on that weed. Yeah, which is the hardest thing, because it's like, oh, I want to try something new, and it's like, please don't, please don't. Not to They're do. beeping outside right now in my house. This is, this is how this neighborhood gets down. I want to go out and smack some people for the <laughs> stupidity I have to put up with. You're, you're in my cuarto. This is the bedroom. Aww. Welcome See, to the bedroom. Ooh, I haven't been in someone's bedroom in forever. <laughs> it's been 84 years. You sound like the Titanic lady. This is a somebody's bedroom. It's so funny because, like, people keep talking about, like, quarantine. Once quarantine ends, like, what are we going to do? And I'm like, I don't even see myself, like, when it comes to dating, like, going to someone's place because I'm like, I don't know you do. You know what I mean? Like, I don't see myself... What, a bar anywhere anywhere a hazmat suit custom made by fashion nova and show up in that joint and be like yo i'm good to go as soon as i know that everything has been clorox my guy yes, like I, I like maybe it could be like strategically have buttons that open in certain places you know yeah. you know what I mean? maybe maybe let the cookie out a little bit it's a little hot it's a little hot, it's hot. i need to let her breathe <laughs> Why? I, I've been preparing for Zooms and other shows and stuff. So I was, uh, I'm on a show. Let me, so I posted a flyer for okay. the thing that I'm doing. Okay. And the guy that did the flyer, God bless him, 
went back into God only knows the halls of Jaina history and picked the oldest picture. Like we're talking like this is Jaina college years picture. Like he picked this old picture of me (laughs) that so does not, here's the thing. I don't mind when people post old pictures of me, but it hurts my feelings a little bit because then I got to look at like young me as old me and I got to be like, damn, yo, fire, yo. I get that because I mean, I've never had this issue, right? But um, because I just, I don't have professional pictures and I don't have people putting me on flyers, but I have seen stuff like that. And it's, it's almost the same as when people send you like an old resume picture and you're like, you don't look like that. Oh, My thing is, that sign. one thing is if you submitted that picture, that says something about you. Oh but, yeah, there's people that do that, that submit pictures. I was like, My man, you look 20 in that picture. <laughs> you look 57 right now, son. That is not your age demographic anymore. No, oh, I'm trying to trick people, yo. Send an updated picture. I mean, it's the same way that, like, I mean, okay, I think, like, a few weeks ago, I re-downloaded Hinge, and I hadn't been on it in a while, so I hadn't really looked at, like, the um, pictures I have on there, and some of the pictures I have on there are from, like, two years ago. Do I look the same? Sure, but my haircut is different, so it's clear this is an old picture. So it's so weird because even in that, I don't want to give, I don't want to give catfish. You know what I mean? Like, what if they like Catherine with short hair? That's not Catherine you're getting now. No, you're getting Catherine with a lock, son. Plus, exactly. Plus, they're going to look at the pictures and they're going to decide which Catherine they like best. Yeah. You know, because they're going to, and then that's when somebody says something stupid, like, you know, I really like it when your hair's long. And then guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to cut it. Exactly. I'm going to cut my hair just to spite you. You don't know me like that, son. But you see, that's the thing. Like, in those situations, I mean, I guess you don't ask for always approval. Like, when we've done, um, like, promotion for the podcast, we don't, we we pick something offline. But when we make those, we try to pick something that looks like them now. Like, like a recent picture, yeah. Right? Like, you don't pick something... And you can just tell when somebody looks a decade younger. You know what I mean? Like, it's not an age thing. It, I think age, people assume age is about um, wrinkles and stuff like that. It's not. It's not at all. Because if you see me 10 years ago, in many ways, I look exactly the same. Yeah. But there's things that are different. There's, there's just little, little things, little yes. things that make the difference. Like, maybe your face is a little wider. Maybe you was a little slimmer back then. Or maybe right. you was bigger back then, so your face a little bigger then. So now your face is slimmed out. Well, like, you, for me, I would be insulted only for one reason and one reason only. Because anything from before 2018, I ain't got no eyebrows. So <laughs> how dare you? And your friggin' eyebrows. <laughs> Mira, I paid for my eyebrows. I don't have no tattoos on my body except for these eyebrows. And you know what? I'm going to let them know. I'm going to let them know I paid for these eyebrows. Y'all, I was watching a video earlier speaking of eyebrows. So there's a comedian buddy of mine. His name is Landry. Funny guy. Great curly hair. Like, literally great enough that I have to comment on it. So if you go find him, you'd be like, yo, she write great curly hair. He posted a video of his niece playing a prank on somebody. And she threw water on her friend and her friend turned around dumb tight and was like, 
you know I got fake eyebrows and just stormed off. And all I could think of was you. I was like, let somebody throw water on Catherine's fresh eyebrows. It is a wrap for your life, son. It yes. is a wrap for you. Like right now, so right now my eyebrows, like the thing is that since I got the semi-permanent, it's been a few years. So they've like faded out, right? But the lucky part is that once you do them, the shape is forever there. So right now I do fill them in. So that would piss me off because right now you just basically made it almost, you made a statement. You about to let everybody know about my brows is fake. About to let everybody know about the fakeness of my brows. And like, that's how I can let them know. You can't let them know. It's the same way that I always thought if I got a fake booty or if I got fake boobs, I would be one of those people who would say, yeah, yeah. My, my booty's fake. Like, Okay, you know what I mean? I didn't have but, a booty. No, I have a booty. Obviously, but, it's fake. But I can call it out. Yeah. You, nobody else. Tell the world I got a fake booty if you are not the doctor that performed my booty surgery. I'm telling you, the people that get called out for that stuff, I understand why people get tight. Yeah. Or even the eyebrow thing. Like, If I did my makeup, like hell, if I have a fresh blowout and you get a molecule of water next to my hair. Yeah. I will freak out. Oh, yeah, me too. No, because, like, how dare you? There's so much work and effort. You know how, like, Mexicans love, like, when, you, when they do birthday parties, to shove the person's face in the cake? Like, never in my life had I experienced that. So I was dating a Mexican guy, and it's my birthday, and I looked fly. Full hawk, everything, nice outfit. I was looking good. And he took my face, and pushed it in the cake. Oh. And when I tell you, I got up so tight. Everybody in the house just froze. I got up so tight. I had chocolate on my white button-down shirt that I was wearing. I was so tight. Yo, I was ready to fight somebody. That's so disrespectful. It's mad disrespectful. Like, I think that, like, my family was the type to, like, try to get some, like, a little bit on your nose. Yeah. Whatever. It's on your nose. But like, they be doing the old whole face. The whole, the whole face in the cake. I, don't, I get it. They call it like la mordidita. But here's what doesn't make sense to me about that tradition. It's the fact that they anticipate it because they have a name for it. And then like all of them don't even try to pretend like they stand around them like, huh? Yeah. Are you gonna uh, is it going to happen? Uh, and my thing is that like, and I feel like culturally for Mexicans, it's insulting if, because I would probably be the type to be like, nah, I'm not getting your cake. Oh, but you should, but nah, I'm not doing that. I would ruin the mood of yeah. the happy birthday moment because I would be like, I'm not doing it. That's basically what I did. Like, I got up from there and I was like, nah, there's no more happy birthdays. But me and <laughs> no cake, more happy that's it. No more happy birthdays. I'll trust y'all. Y'all play me. No more happy Cancel. Cancel for the rest of my life, son. No more happy birthdays with y'all. Just birthdays. No just, happy. No happy. Just birthdays. Be like, yo, you were born today. Thank you for the acknowledgement, my guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's about it. I don't want to experience. I can't trust y'all around cake. Plus, that's a waste of cake. Yo, as a gordita, I'm not even going to lie. As a little gordita, all I'm thinking is, yo, you just messed up mad cake right now, son. Yeah, because I think that's the thing, yo. You ever been at a party when you look at a cake and you be like, I cannot wait. Yes, yes. Cake. Every party, every cake, except for like tres leches, because that's nasty. But I mean, that's not a happy. That's not something people sing around happy birthday with. 
Yo, but some people be buying Tres Leches cake for their birthdays. I'm like, that cake tastes like somebody drooled on it. You got baba on your cake. That's nasty. Uh, that shit's depending, depending on who makes it. Because not everybody makes it well. But I, so like I said, I've never had that experience really with people putting their face in it. But yeah. I'll be tight. Especially if I was a kid. Yeah. Right. Because, like, that's one of the highlights. That was one of the first things. Yo, you remember when you go to the table and that's where all the snacks were? Like, all the chips. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All the snacks, all the party chips, everything, yo. So, you will go to the chips, but you always glanced at the cake a little bit. And you were like, yo, when when we going to bust that cake open? When they going to? When we sing a happy birthday. So, we sing a happy birthday? Is it coming up? If I'm in the bathroom, you better get me because I want to sing happy birthday. But then if I found out, like, if I would have had a friend and went to their house, had that whole moment, and then your cake, your face is in the cake. I'm waiting for the cake. And then that moment you decide to smush my face or somebody's face in the cake. Now I got to eat cake with face on it. That's nasty. No, thank you. I'm not eating. No, I'm not. No. But I wouldn't mind it if I was on a dieta. Because if I'm on a diet and then they, you know what I mean? Because then I'd be like, I'm not going to eat it at all. Yo, it's so crazy. I don't know what's happening, but every time, so I've been using a lot of like um, face serums, but I think, yo, but I think that like I'm using so many because like I can't, my, my eyes are blurry. Mm. Really weird. Like right now I can see your eyes. I feel like I just put too much around my eyes because, like, my eyes feel super blurry. Your eyes is mad hydrated, though. You're mad hydrated right now. I'm like, hydrated. yo, and it also could be the fact that, like, I feel like I don't go outside since we don't go outside much. Yeah. Light. I'm literally become a vampire because light, I'm like. <laughs> yo, I didn't have windows for so long. That I want every one of these hoes open. I want all these bitches open. Like, open all the blinds. I want sun on my face first thing in the morning. What was it? When I was a vegetarian, I remember I was hanging out with Big J. And Big J made this joke. He's like, to uh, the guy I was dating at the time. He was like, in the mornings, does Gina start to lean towards the sunlight like a plant would? Because she's a vegetarian. <laughs> so, like, that's how I feel now. Like, I started leaning towards the light. Like, oh, sunlight. Oh, precious sunlight. I feel like somebody who was kidnapped for years that just just got let out. I'm like, oh, oh, this is what windows are like. <laughs> now you know the difference between day and night. You know the difference between day and night. Oh, yeah. As soon as the sun goes away, I'd be dumb sad. I'd be like, I want the sun to come back. <laughs> I miss the sun. What oh, are you doing on gloomy days? Yo, it's so I'm so depressed on gloomy days. Like I just be looking out the window, like, like all like sad and looking. <laughs> you like, know what sucks? The other day was a gloomy day, and I so we're lucky we're at that stage where we can film, like where we have lights till like seven, eight. But it was a gloomy day, and I was trying to film something, and the light went away at like five, and I was just really disappointed in the world because I was like, I'm gonna need them to schedule these gloomy days with my production schedules because I'm not okay with We have it. somebody in our waiting room. <laughs> oh, we have a waiting room? We have a waiting room right now. Oh my God, guys. It's weird because it says Emma. I think that's her, uh, our special guest's assistant. 
let's see. Let us let this person in for our extra special. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Gloria Calderon Kelly. You know, have we met in real life ever? We did at the Alma Awards very okay. briefly. So I feel like I've known you forever, but I'm like, did we ever actually officially? Like for a few ever? seconds, just before getting on the red carpet, yeah. Justina was standing there, whom I, I met years ago um, with Eva Longoria. And like, a, I hear somebody go, Gina. And I turn around and I go, Justina. And then you, the whole cast of ODAT is there. So we met very briefly. And, uh, I was, I was, it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, hi, hi, hi. And then I had to go hold up my name, take a picture and, you know, yeah, <laughs> you know the whole thing. <laughs> I know the whole thing. I know the whole thing. <laughs> but I don't know if you've ever met Catherine. This is my lovely Hi, Catherine. Hi. We haven't formally met. We've met only, I went to a taping about that a few it's years so ago. so familiar to me, though. Yeah, because I went, um, when I was working at Me Through, the, the video the team, team went, came. Yeah. Yes. You guys came down after, though, and took photos and stuff. Yes. Like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, so yeah. that's where we met. Yay. <laughs> All right. Oh Hello. It's so nice to have you on. Thank you for joining us. Oh, my gosh. I love it. Congrats love on it. the article that just came out. Yeah. Okay. That is so, it's, it's so great to see. Latinas supporting each other. It's so great to see you guys taking control and giving a voice to a lot of people that felt voiceless for so long. Well, it's, it's all incredible. it's the work that all of us are doing, right? I'm gonna shut this window. So, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just in case I'm. Yeah, I'm waiting for like an ambulance or something to go by, knowing my neighborhood. <laughs> okay. I'll be like, all right, well, somebody's sure. causing a problem. Okay. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like um, it's so interesting because it's like we were just talking about how like when you when, when we're all like just together and, you know, we, we support each other. It's just a whole different other vibe, like in general. But like ODAT is one of those shows I feel like just is doing that through and through and through season after season. So like that's really awesome. Yeah. Yay. It's what we're trying to do, you know? I mean, intention, I think, is a lot of it, but sometimes you intend something and it doesn't come out the way that you hope. And so the fact that it was received uh, so well, meant, it meant a lot. You know, it's, it's Tanya too. She, she was in the same position when, when she was making Vida. You know, you make these things going, man, I hope. And yeah. it's also really difficult to break through to our community because of the trust issues, which I, oh, why does it say Emma Soren? Sorry, I'm logged in. <laughs> as okay, that's writer. your alias, girl. Don't let people know. As our, as our writer's assistant, sorry. <laughs> I don't like doing that. Okay, Gloria Galdonia, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, look, what was I saying? Oh my God. Um, it, it's the intention behind it and you never you just never know you never know and you always try and hope that it's received uh warmly and so yeah when i was really fortunate too to meet tanya early on and and for us to have one another to to talk to because there just weren't that many people to talk to i felt crazy i felt like oh am i just being am i overly sensitive am i you know entering these spaces these dominant culture spaces and feeling 
not as valued or not as heard or not as um, respected as I had hoped. Yeah. Uh, and then the shift, the shift that happened when, when people did start to value and respect me and how it makes a big difference. Yeah. To have your voice heard, but that's a good point that there was nobody for you to really connect with. So who were the people that were inspiring you? Who were your role models that sort of kept you going before meeting people like Tanya? Well, when I first came out, um, I looked up the Latinos that I saw their, their resume, you know, that I would see. So Peter Marietta sat down with me very early on, was so generous with his time and was so kind when he was doing greetings from Tucson now, like looking back and thinking about like, oh my God, if I was in the middle of running a show, I don't know that I'd give 45 minutes to a writer because you just don't have time. So that, that's particularly meaningful. And then of course, Peter worked on One Day at a Time and is now on Mr. Iglesias and yeah. um, has just sold a show to I Amazon. Oh, isn't that awesome? Which is so great with Eric and, and Isaac, which is so great. Those are all great guys. Uh, and then Luisa Lechtin also sat down with me um, and she was a writer on George Lopez and she was, so I, Danielle Sanchez also was super cool. We met and she, you know, has show run Gerard, Gerard Carmichael show, the Carmichael show. Um, she's such an awesome, awesome lady as well. So I had them to look to, they were already here. They were already doing the work. Um, but, but there, yeah, there just wasn't a lot. And certainly in the rooms I went into, they were, they were very, white spaces, um, which sometimes was great, you know, it was fine. It, it's just, it's just different. It's diff. It's different when you have more representation in a room and how it allows for a different type of conversation and for working on Latino shows. And, and I think Latinos can work in any space as I think anyone can work in any space if they're a good writer. The difference being that for many of us Americans, we've grown up with dominant culture shows. Yeah. So it's easy for me to write friends because that's a sh I grew up on all that stuff. Yeah. You know. So when people say, "Well, do you not think white people can write Latino shows?" I do. I, I we have white writers on staff that can write our shows. They just don't have the same language I have for yeah. their shows, right? So they have to learn the language. So if they're in our space and it is heavily populated by Latinidad, and we are talking about those things then something different happens, right? They, they learn the culture like we grew up learning the culture. Right. So that's, I just feel like the, I'm very big on nothing about us without us. It just, that's it. Now it's nothing about us without us. It's, it's over. It's over are the days where we are written about and it is not somebody or a large group of people behind the scenes that can support that point of view, which is great. No, that's awesome because I do feel like it takes a lot more than just Googling something about, you know, a Latino culture and writing it in a script. You, if you're in the mix, if you know what's going on with the culture, if you're aware of all of the subtle cultural differences yeah. between us and some of the major cultural differences between us, it makes a huge difference because people will just throw things into a script and just get some nondescript person of Latino descent to play a role. And we're like, no, that, that doesn't, no, we, we're not believing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been a journey y'all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it been a journey. crazy journey. Oh, <laughs> I love the cup. I love that. Oh That's yeah. My, I love, I do love my coffee. Episode. <laughs> yes. So great. I love that cup. I didn't even realize. Yeah. Yeah. So nope. we have this thing where it's like a speed round. We have three questions. They're very okay. important questions. You can answer them in whatever order you want. 
Um, the first one is, where are you from? What is your zodiac sign? And how did you get started as a creative in general? It doesn't have to be Hollywood. Just first creative thing that you can think of. Okay. Uh, what, I already forgot everything you said. Okay, the first one is, what is my, no, the second one is, what's my sign? What's the first one? Where, where are you from? Are. Where am I from? Okay, I was born in Portland, Oregon. Yes, Portland, Oregon. Oregon. My parents are Pedro Pan kids. They um, came to the United States in 1962, and the infrastructure in Miami is not what it is now. Um, so it was farmland. It was orange groves. And um, 14,000 Cuban kids came in, and they were supposed to be there for you know, three months and then go back to Cuba, that did not happen. What ended up happening is the 14,000 Cuban kids' parents and families came over once they realized that Castro was, not all of them, but many of them, were able to come over on the freedom flights. So there was no buildings, jobs, there was nothing um, set up for that many families. So churches and wonderful strangers um, organized for Cuban families to be sent all over the country. That's why the Cuban diaspora is all over the place. Obviously heavily populated in Miami, heavily populated in New Jersey, but we're everywhere. So my parents, both my parents and their families and a bunch of other Cuban families were sent to Portland, Oregon. Oh wow. So there's a little conclave of Portland, Oregon with a bunch of Cubans and that was the little community I grew up in. So I grew up in this very proud, beautiful, thriving little Cuban community. And then all the other white people so it was i grew up really with with huge culture shift and huge code switching and that was what my normal was um and it was it was actually quite lovely it was a lovely upbringing in portland it was uh the people were very nice uh it was okay i really didn't understand truly how the treatment of latinos and and uh the broad spectrum of what it meant, what Latinidad meant until I moved to San Diego when I was 14. And that's when I met other Latinos. And that's when I realized that the immigration status of my parents and how they came here and the process with which they became Americans was very different for different Latinos, depending on what country you were from, which seemed insane to me. Yeah. And there was, Cubans have a, a, at least for a very long time, not anymore, but had a, a path to citizenship which allowed them to thrive in this country. And it's worked. The Cuban population makes the most money of all Latino, Latino groups in America. That's because they got to buy homes and got to send their kids to school and got loans for college. I mean, you can see it. You can see also, yes, hardworking people, of course, but all of Latinos are hardworking people. Right. So once I realized that I didn't just have uh, the privilege, I, I had sort of a Latina privilege. I had sort of a Cuban privilege within the Latinidad privilege, right? Yeah. And white proximity privilege because I am white passing in a lot of spaces. So I'm going off topic, I know, but, no, but I love it. I love it. Where you're from is really going off on a tangent. <laughs> but all of that, all of that informed how I thought and all of that informed how I was sometimes treated or how I, so it, it um, and my brother is, you know, a big, handsome, dark, green-eyed Cuban who in San Diego, everyone just thinks is Mexican. And the treatment that he receives that is so wildly different from the treatment that I received uh, growing up, the amount of times he got pulled over, the amount of time, was staggering, staggering. Yeah. Um, so that was also something I felt like I had to write about because he doesn't, he's like, I go he calls me Glorita. I go forget it, who cares? I don't care, these idiots, you know? And I'm like, no, come on. No, I'm going to tell them, you know, and I'm like a little spitfire 
um, because it makes me mad. Yeah. It makes me really upset. Um, he's just so used to it. Isn't that so sad? And so uh, it was very interesting. And then I'll get back on my, off my tangent. But he growing up always looks, it's like a joke. He's always gorgeous. Okay. Like irons his jeans, collars, vests, always a beautiful watch, drives a Jag. Like he's so always three piece suit almost all the time. Okay. Like ridiculous. I'm in jeans and he always looks like a million bucks and I've given him shit my whole life for it. Okay. Cause it's like, okay, all right, miss. I, oh yeah. You're walking off the catwalk. You know? Yeah. And one day he was like, Glo, if I dress like this, they don't mess with me. They don't mess with me as much. Cause they think, oh, well, at least he got money. Yeah. Yeah. And he said too, that my dad talked to him when he was young and was like, you can't wear hoodies. You can't wear sweatshirt. There was a whole conversation my dad had with him that was, I did, I was not privy to because of the Blanquita. They didn't have to worry about me as much as they had to worry about him. Yeah. yeah. So what our boys of color go through when they walk in spaces is a whole other thing that they have to carry that I cannot understand or wrap my brain around. Um, and it's something that, that we have to talk about more so that other people can understand what, what they're going through when they enter places and, and what that generational trauma, right? Yeah. Um, does to our community. Okay. So that's where I'm from. <laughs> I'm literally putting pinpoints in what I want to dissect about that. So you can get to the next question. I'm like, all right. I, want um, I My star said I'm an Aries. Hey, me too. I'm an Aries. What's your birthday? April 7th. It was April 7th. I'm 11. Hey. I mean, 411. It's 411. You got the 411. I'm an Aries, as is my mother, as is my daughter. So you know. You yeah. know wow. It's also known as the best sign. I, uh, it's, it's fire, baby. I love it. I am out, I'm outnumbered here. So you know what? <laughs> I'm also a Cancer. So I'm like, guys, I'm sensitive. <laughs> I'm very, you're great. You're great. You're a beautiful goddess. Beautiful goddess. <laughs> oh, uh, your last one is how did, how did you I become a creative? Just a general. Uh, I I started. Um, I've always been really into storytelling. Always, whether it be through dance. I was a dancer when I was younger, and I was a singer when I was younger. I sang in malls, and I won a bunch of competitions by singing. My parents thought I was going to be a singer, and. Uh, when we moved to San Diego, I sort of did a reset and I gave up, I wanted to just try out a completely new identity and I gave up dancing and singing and I got much more into student government and much more into, I was really interested in power and in who has the power, why do they have the power? And it seemed like storytelling was who tells the story is who has the power, right? Even in our history books, who writes the history books and who decides what's in there and what's not in there? Uh, and once I really started to wrap my brain around the power of storytelling, um, the more I was just drawn to that world. So I thought it was gonna be being an actress, but uh, when I graduated from college, every audition I went on was Gangbanger's Girlfriend and Gangbanger's Sister. I'm not, I wish that was a joke and I'm not kidding. And, you know, look, that exists in the world and that's fine. Obviously I didn't get those roles. They'd always say like, I look to Europe. I don't, I'm not Latina enough is what I got again and again. Girl, um, that phrase by heart. Yeah. Well, it's also like for anyone to even say what Latino looks like is crazy. Um, or even the, the comment that they're making about the type that they want to cast for that absolutely. specific stereotype. Right. 
Right. I've been told by other Latinos, like, you should talk about on stage how you're not that Latina. You're really not that Latina. And I'm, it always makes me cringe when I hear that, especially from my own people where I'm like, so what defines? So what defines? Exactly. What defines that? It's such a, it's so, uh, it's so interesting because we have to deal with not only this dominant culture perspective, but within our own community perspective and call it out, which is something that's been really hard for me and really sensitive. We'll talk about that too. (laughs) Call it out within our own community because it's enough. I mean, that's what really pin, pin in that, pin in that. Um, So anyway, I started, then I started, uh, I I just started like writing. I was like, I'm just going to write. I'm going to write my way out of this. Cause that is one thing about being an immigrant kid, you know, like you learn, like, ain't nobody coming for you. There's no Prince Charming. Okay. So if you want it, you got to get it. And my mother to her, to her credit, very young said, if you want something in life, you figure out how you get it. Don't you rely on a man. You can do it. You're capable. And that's very empowering to hear because I felt that I felt that I could find a way and I didn't know anybody in Hollywood. I didn't know nothing. I just figured it out. I just hustled and I put up plays I wrote my own plays. I found theaters. I put them up. I produced them myself. I cast them myself. I had my husband make the posters. I redid the posters. I wrote the press releases. I sent them out to Backstage West and, and LA Weekly. I found out that they'll review you if you have a six-week run. So I'd say, what's the cheapest night this theater has? Tuesday nights? I'll take six Tuesdays in a row. Vamos. And then they'd come and review us. I'd give free tickets to all of my favorite charities for the free opening night so that it was packed. But I wasn't making no money off of that. So it was like hustle, 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 hustle. Every day it was like, what am I doing today for my future? What am I doing today? And it worked. Yeah. It worked. A manager and agent came to me. They came to the show because assistants would come and then the six-week run meant that people told other people. And it, that's really how it all happened. That's how it all happened for me was putting up my own work and putting it out there. And then I was doing stand-up for a minute. I did stand-up for a year and a half. And I liked the storytelling aspect more in the beginning, which led me to like, oh, I think I want to do more television than I want to do stand-up. But mad props, mad respect, mad respect, Gina, mad respect. Yeah, I'm glad you uh, said it. I always tell people to try stand-up. I, I mean, I did like it. There's times where I'm like, oh, that'd be fun. But the lifestyle's rough. It's a Girl, tough. Because yes. I was like, I want to have kids. Like, if I got to go up at a Moggy's at 10 p.m., like, I just, how am I going to have a family? Like, I just, I couldn't wrap my brain how I was going to make that work and be going out like, because when I was doing it, I mean, I went to Shady. I don't know. I started, I did, when did I do stand up? It was like a Moggy's. Do you remember this? Do you remember a Moggy's? Um, that's where? And that's West Coast? That's Gower, that's Gower Gulch. Oh, I've never been to that room. Oh my God. So that's old school because I'm older than you. So a Moggy's, West, Westwood Brewing Company, that was a big, the big one where like all the standups would go to, to perform their sets before they went on um, late night shows in LA. Oh, okay. So Amagi's and, 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 oh my God. And it was just relentless. You know, you'd have to, you'd have to go out three nights a week. You'd have to start meeting people to be in other shows and they'd ask you to do their, it, it was, it was, I was doing a all day hustle and working to pay bills. And then the nighttime and it was like, I couldn't, I couldn't do the lifestyle was rough. Yeah, the lifestyle is definitely a choice you make. Like whenever I meet newer comics and they're like, do you have any advice? I'm like, you better love this. <laughs> <laughs> you better love this because it ain't going to get any easier. It's going to get more demanding. It's going to get harder. You know, once you've built a reputation, it's easier to get in the better rooms, but it's still the same deal. Like just because I'm at the comedy cellar, that doesn't mean I'm getting up at 830. I could be up at one in the morning. 
and I watch the women that have had kids juggling all that. And I see how exhausting it is where it's like they would bring their kids to the comedy clubs. You got one of the waitresses holding your kid because you got to be on stage. Like I've seen that before. So it is, it's definitely, it's a tough choice to make and it's a tough lifestyle, which is why I say you have to love it. You have to be as dedicated to this as anything in the arts where you're like, I, I have to dedicate my whole existence has to be about making sure this works right. and making sure that it works, you know, the way that I envision it. And I love what you said about, you know, having that mentality of whatever you want, you got to go out and you got to make it happen. That's right. Cause I don't think we teach children that enough, but particularly women, particularly women of color, like we don't teach them whatever, whatever goals you, you have, you can achieve them. You don't need to depend on this person, this person, and this person. You just have to be willing to do all the work, like to hustle, like you did. You hustle, girl. It's hustle. Yeah. And, and it's also, it's never ending the hustle, right? Like the hustle is never ending. I think that we also have to uh, demystify what making it means. Making it for me is paying my bills. Yeah. If I'm paying my bills doing this, it's like, oh my God, I want, right? I want. <laughs> But then it's, there's never a moment, like, I'm not one of those showrunners that's, like, out on the beach drinking her pina coladas yet. I hope so one day. <laughs> but I'm still, like, I got, like, in quarantine, I've never been busier. I've got four projects. I'm on Zoom back-to-back. I'm still on all the boards that I'm, I'm on the board for Austin Film Festival or Austin TV Festival, the Women's History Museum. I'm doing advocacy. I'm going on. I'm, I'm speaking to different colleges and universities about screenwriting programs. Like, it's non Stop, nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. So, and, and by the way, I love it because that's where I thrive and that's what I know and it's okay with me, but it's no joke. It's no joke nonstop. So the work you have, Gina, you put it perfectly. You have to love it. Yeah. You have to love it or it will drive you crazy. Right. Yeah, it will. At some point you'll, you know, really have that breaking moment of like, why, why am I, why, why am I doing this? Why? Yeah. I've said it a million times. I'm like, I could have been a teacher. I could have done anything with this. <laughs> why? And it's because I love it. Once you fall in love with something, like you knew yeah. you wanted to be a storyteller. So yeah. you found your way and you made your path to being a storyteller and you made that something sustainable as a career, you know? I loved making people laugh. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to make that work, but I'm going to figure it out and <laughs> I'm going to do it. And I did. And it's just one of those things where it's like, that love has to be prominent. That has to be a thing. But another thing I put a pin in that I wanted to touch on that you said that I thought was so important when you're talking about your brother and the conversation that your dad had with your brother about how he can never wear hoodies, how he had to dress a certain way. People love to make fun of Latino men for dressing up all the time. And it's like, you guys don't understand why that is necessary. Oh, I, did, I didn't until I was 16 years old. I didn't, right? Yeah. You're just so around, you're like, I, the papito who's always, hand, you know, like we do it ourselves. That, that's where like, I think, the com I think the calling out of our community and the reaching the olive branches, which is something that Tanya, Sriracha and I purposefully put an end to. Yes. For us. And what we, we said, like, you know, in her and I talking, it was the first time I'd ever worked with a Latina ever in a writer's room. Wow. Ever. Until my show. Wow. Okay. 12 years. Never had I been in another room with a Latina. And her and I would just talk, and she's so smart and so politically motivated and 
And I had been really broken from a lot of the rooms I had been in. So she came into my life in a time when I really needed to be challenged and really needed, because I, I had been, I was beaten down. I was really beaten down. And um, I'm so grateful for her entry into my life so that, because she was fiery and challenging in, in the best way. And we had these great, great, great conversations that allowed me to reopen my heart to what was the intention that I initially started doing this for? Why did I want to do this in the beginning? And just getting reacquainted with where my heart was in making this work and making and putting this stuff out there. And that recalibration really changed my, my life. And so her and I talking and her and I saying, one day it's going to be us. One day we're going to be the showrunners. I mean, we, we sat and we dreamed it together. And I think that saying it out loud with one another, making very clear our intention and, and, and laying out what we wanted it to look like for us. And for each of us, it's different and that's okay. She has different intentions than I have and that's okay. But we also were very intentional in saying, and anything you need, I'm here. And anytime you need lifting up, I'm here. It's we're over is the crabs in a barrel. It ends, it dies with us. Okay. It's, I mean, it dies with the generation before, because I think for the longest time, that was the problem is that there was one Latina writer they would hire. There was one Latina that would get hired as the actress for the show. So it created this culture created a, and I remember it from being an actress for five minutes, you'd go to these auditions and it's like, Oh my God, what was it like in there? Oh my God. Those girls would be like, yeah, they didn't want to yeah. tell you shit because yeah. they wanted that job and they didn't want to give you an advantage. And I was like, what? We, we, I mean, one of us is going to get it. We might as well try to No, Oh, we're not talking. Okay. Like, yeah. no, 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 no. Stronger together, stronger together. Right. Yeah. And then also, I, I think there's like, and there's a con, there's a conversation also about like, um, who, who the Latino in the room. So for instance, the difference between a Latino writer from Latin America who moved here as an adult and then the ones who are from this country, born and raised. Those are different stories. So you put those two people in the same room, they're not even gonna have the same experience. So the writer looks at the world one way, and the actor is like, I hear it, that's not my experience. How do we make this work? Everyone else around them is going, but you're Latino, so like, what's the problem? Because yeah. they're not getting that. So there's okay. levels to it. Yeah, totally. Well, and also that was the other thing that was so crazy is that people would say when I, when I started, when I started making a name for myself, I cannot tell you the amount of border crossing stories that came to me. We want to do, or we want to do something about the hood and like gang life. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I, about I, I don't know anybody in a gang. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not the person. Yeah. You know, like the amount of time that it asked to play a Dominican and I'm like, I cannot do a Dominican accent to save my life, nor would I try. Like, I would be so bad at it, it would be embarrassing. I'm pretty sure you can find a Dominican actress. Yeah. Like, they just throw it out to people because it doesn't matter to them. Well, you see, I think that there's like, it's twofold because you get hit on two ends. So on one end, they're like, can you tell this story? You're like, that's just not my experience. That's okay. But then if you were to be the person to pick that up, there's a whole other group that's going to be like, that's not your story. Why are you telling oh, yeah. that? So oh, it's no. It's, it's, you guys, it's not even, it, it's so many hits that you're taking. The amount of hits that you're taking is no joke. Yeah. 
so it's so it's choosing the battles and it's trying to it's trying to explain where you can explain right it's trying to explain um what so people don't understand that there are that i can't just make a show and do whatever i want and hire whoever i want every day there's a committee of people that i have to present ideas to they have to do their cost benefit analysis of certain stars I mean, I, when I was doing, when I did my show for Netflix, it was very different than when I did my show for CBS. But for example, for example, I got heat from the Cuban community for casting Justina and Rita, who are two Puerto Ricans to play Cubans. Okay. So for me, it was, I need the story to be Cuban. So I talked to a bunch of academics and the academics were like, the story is what matters. The story is what's important. Mm-hmm. And we don't watch dominant culture shows and say, wait a minute, that dad is Irish American, but the daughter is German American and the daughter is from Australia. Or by this white family. You know what's right? a good example? The guy who played Martin Luther King, not an American. It's yeah. the same concept. It's like, oh, he's a black man. Like, right. Yeah. So, so I agree. So where I agree with, and for me, because I'm American, I don't have, a, I sound American, right? So I had zero problem. Show me somebody else who could play me that's ju- that's not Justina Machado. First I, of I, all, Justina is a beast. Every audition I've ever gone out for, Justina has gotten. And whenever I see her, I go, yeah, you made the right choice. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 like, I told her, I've, I've met you only in audition rooms where the moment I saw you walk in, I was like, oh, well, yeah, I'm amazing. Job. She's Same. absolutely amazing. Same. I, so, and then like, and look, as far as Rita, I wish we had a Cuban EGOT. I wish we had that. We don't have it. Right. So I got no problems. I got no problems with that. And, and they play my mother and me to me to perfection. So now it's fine. Now the Cubans are fine because they see that the story to, I did a Cuban, I did a but it's, but it's like you said, it's like, we are also then limiting, like part of me thinks, yes, I would love for them to see Dominican actresses, Gina, for sure. Yeah. But if you do, if you commit to the accent, if you commit, right, I just, it's just, it's just something yeah. that we have to think about because our DNA is a lot the same. There's also the problem that like, there's not a lot of people, like when I was on the Connors, the guy that played, uh, he played Becky's Mexican baby daddy was Puerto Rican. And they had seen everybody from Venezuelans to Mexicans to this. It's also part of casting where they look at you and they go, we're looking for a certain type. And that's unfortunately the truth about casting. They were looking for a certain look. They had a certain look they were going for. And they had a dialect coach on set to help him speak Spanish with a Mexican accent and use Mexican terminology, which people don't realize those little intricacies yeah, they make they well, make a difference. It's true. That is one of the things that the Cubans say. Like I did get a Caribbean to play a Caribbean. Um, which does yeah. have a subtlety, you know, like there right. is Caribbean stuff that is, that's different than. Like you just said before, coño. If you're right. not, you're Mexican, you're not saying coño. Yeah. No, just not. And, and and it's never going to come out the same way either. Right. It right. just won't. You, cause they want to say carajo, which yeah. is equivalent, but coño comes out a certain hey, way. Hey, listen, we say carajo too. We don't. Well, my grandmother used to throw carajo out of bed. All day. She used to be doling out carajos for anybody that would take them. I like a carajo. I don't mind. I don't mind a carajo. I call you carajos, really, when you, when you, get, you get out of there. When you but it's, up. It's also, listen, it's also tricky. It's another thing that our community doesn't want to hear but has to hear. 
it's also tricky because we haven't broken through dominant culture as much as we want to, right? right? So when you're making a show, there were two actresses that they considered for Penelope of all the actresses we saw because they were like, they don't have enough credits. They don't have enough. We need, this is a multi-million dollar industry and we're not going to put it on girl that did one playoff Broadway. Sorry, Gloria. Right? Like, and listen, I wouldn't, Justina's who I want, brilliant. I would never change it for a million years. But we saw actresses that didn't have the credits, the, the, the gravitas, the, and you have eight weeks. You have eight weeks. So it's a hustle. It's so hard to get these shows on the air. It's so hard. So people have to be understanding of the process that those of us that are in here trying to make the, um, plant the flags. Yeah. we got to understand what we're trying to do in here. We're trying to educate. We're trying to, I mean, it is, it is five times the amount of work, 10 times the amount of work of just your regular white guy trying to make a show. Yeah. Right. And baby steps that we have to take because we're still, it's still like edging people into our culture and the, the way that things work. So it's like, we have to take these little baby steps and people that see it, that don't understand the inner workings of how the industry works. They're, they're going to be judgmental, but it's like, no, trust me, we're trying to get voices out yeah. there. We're trying yeah. our best. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that also has something to say about like people forgetting that there's execs and there's people above you. And the thing is that unsold, even that looks like a POC room. It's a different argument. Like you're, you, you're, you're still small fish. Like, I feel like, you know, you're, you're at a really great place in your career, but you're still small fish compared to that. So that's different. I do have a question. Um, working for CBS, working for, um, Netflix and pop. Have you found like, um, that you didn't necessarily ever like step into a topic that you wanted to tackle just because you knew you were going to get the from anyone, not anybody specifically, or have you always just gone, you know what? I'm in this room. I'm doing it. Once, once I became the position of power, once I became the showrunner, no, but before sure. But those weren't my shows, you know, like it was, it was difficult to fight, uh, to fight for stuff when I was the low man on the totem pole and needed to keep my job. Right. Like it's, it's, you have to sort of eat the humble pie and, and learn and go when it, when I have, when I'm driving the car, it's going to be different. I mean, that's what I would always think. So, but no, once I, I mean, the thing that was, you know, when, when you do a network show, they want people to look a certain way. So when I sold my show to CBS and it was about my husband and I, I did history that, of them, right? History of them. Yes. Um, they, it was cast contingent. They wouldn't pick it up. They said, we've had a really hard time finding Latina actresses, Gloria. I won't say who said it, but they said we have a very hard time. So we're going to hire a special casting director. And I worked with a brilliant Yolanda Guillen, who I love. And we found amazing actresses, amazing actresses. And, you know, even still, they were so hard on my girls and, it, you know, and ended up getting Anna Villafagne and Janine Mason was, was also, also tested. And they took Janine to Roswell. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it was, uh, and they were brilliant and they were both wonderful. But, you know, look, they're both gorgeous and they're both uh, talented and they both have pretty incredible resumes. So to, to be one of the girls that was trying to get in that mix was tricky yeah. because they're like, we're not going to give the lead of a show unless somebody comes in and is a, like a fierce beast. And we have to still take our power. I don't know that we're still coming in and taking enough power. And I will say all the final like top five girls that were 
of my heart um, that I loved. I've remained friends with and we still like communicate and I still recommend them for things. And, and I'm so happy I know of them because I didn't know some of them before. Uh, so that's been really rewarding and really, really great. But it's fascinating that there's a, still a pool of unapprovable people, people that the network will not approve. Oh yeah. I've been down that trail before a few times and networks trying to change things almost to make them, it, it's, it was so funny. I was doing a meeting, like we were trying to sell a sitcom and, and I had this executive and I was in the room with all the other writers and the executive said, we love the show. We would love the show. We love the religious aspect of the show. Cause I talked about growing up and going to church and everything. And they said, it'd be great if we could just change the name of the show to something like Ave Maria. And I think I rolled my eyes so hard. That I was surprised when they came back. And I told one of the writers when we left the room, I said, if anybody tries to make me change the name of this show to Ave Maria, I'm out. And sure enough, two days later, one of the producers hit me up and, you know, he's a white guy in the industry. And he's like, I just heard Ave Maria on the radio. We should totally change the name of the show. It's clearly a sign. And I sent him an email back that must have stopped this man's heart because I was like, hey, if you want to change the name of the show, that's great. You go ahead and you change it. Here's a list of other Latinas that you can contact to be the lead and to write the show because you won't be using my material and I'm not going to be in it. So good luck. And he called me right away and he was like, no, I was kidding. Uh, I didn't mean that. We weren't going to do it. And I'm like, sure, sure. The amount of times that that happens where they want to make it so specific that it alienates anybody who's not Catholic, who is, you know, not, not of Latin descent. Like what I loved about both Oda and Vita, what I loved about the two of them is that they drew people in to the culture. It's not just about representing the culture. It's about, I'm going to draw you in so you learn about this. And the things that I would hear on both shows, I feel like the music is very impactful. Hearing Celia Cruz on Odat, like, I'm not going to lie. I got up, I danced a little. Hearing those things and having that represented to people that maybe never saw that, maybe never, they never experienced that in their life. And they're seeing that now in this family setting and they're going, Yo, my family is just as crazy as this family. <laughs> I love that about both of those shows. Well, you want to know something really funny, um, Gloria? So I knew, because we follow you on Twitter, I knew that the intro wasn't going to be on pop. Yeah. But I, I think when it aired and when I finally got a chance to actually watch it, it has that little teaser. And I was so not happy that every episode I would pause it and go to YouTube, play the song, yes. and then come back to the episode. Yes. Because I was like, it doesn't work. Like, you, you, you're teasing me. It was not okay. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's up to you. I had to do it. I had to do it. I, I totally respected it. I just was like, that is how you know my loyalty to, like, the original format. Was oh, no. They, they, would, they told us that people would not skip intro. Like, they, you know, that people would really like to watch that that main title sequence, which yeah. we actually love. Every, everything from the visuals in the main title sequence, but to the song in itself, like, you know, I, I feel like, I mean, it's Gloria, so I feel like that's nostalgic for some people, yeah. but at the same time, it sounds like a song that you would have just heard growing up. You know what I mean? Like, so that's what makes it perfect. Also, like, personally, I'm a multi-cam sitcom person, 
So seeing a show, especially now, because I think a lot of shows are mostly single cam, yeah. um, a show representing Latin, a Latino family in a format that reminds me of what I watched as a kid, that's probably the most important. You know what I mean? Like, I like that aspect of it. And so the intro, I was just like, you know what? It's a timing issue, but we will be pausing and going. I love it. I love it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Fire. I remember the only show that I watched growing up that I could really um, connect to, which was so weird, was All American Girl. She was the most ethnic thing. Margaret Cho was the most ethnic thing I had ever seen on camera because I was watching every comedian-based sitcom. Where I, and I was just looking for somebody to identify with. And before yeah. seeing, like, Margaret Cho, it was all of, you know, all of, like, uh, you know... Um, it was the Cosby show and any other people of color that I would see was, you know, a different world. It was all these different, like where I would see people of color and I'd be like, Oh my God, these, these are people in my neighborhood. Like I could walk outside my neighborhood and see these people. So it's amazing to, to see, like to have, like, first of all, I'm a little proud that it's two Puerto Ricans. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but they're, I, they're spectacular. Their chemistry is insane. Yeah. Incredible. I, I can't take my eyes off of them. The whole cast, cast is, I, I think, yeah. I think that we crushed it on the casting. Oh, I did. Yeah. I think they're so good. Yeah. They're insanely good. They're all lovable. And you can tell just from watching your live the other night when I was on your live, the way that everybody gets along. Yeah. Is, we do really love each other. Oh. What is actually also funny is that uh, Justina's dad is actually Cuban. Oh, but I didn't he, know that. Yeah, but he died very young when she was young. And so she just grew up in a thriving, you know, like in a big Puerto Rican neighborhood. So she just identifies. But technically, she is Cuban. <laughs> oh, okay. There you go, Cubans. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question. Because, like, I'm going to commend you on your fight to bring back all that. Like, I think people don't really understand how, like, you could have gave up. You know, it kind of goes back to your hustle thing, that the hustle never ends. Yeah. Because yeah. you could have gave up and said, all right, let's start a new show. Let's move in another direction. But you were like, no, we're going to, I'm going to make this happen. I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. So like, to me, I, I guess, what were those, like, what was that moment for you? When they first, like, when they first told you they, they were canceling it, how did you, because we were, um, again, stalking. And I saw this tweet um, that you posted about um, having blue days it was something about like um having highs and lows and moving forward and you know it's okay to have a blue day i'm assuming that that news was one of those days for people out there who have those days as a creative how do you motivate yourself how do you push yourself out of that and then get you know to where you got which is you got it back for me i would say i think you have to you have to really sit the more i sit in what is my intention right like what am I trying to put out there? What is the work I'm making? And, and not to make it sound all grandiose and, or, you know, but it is, that's how I start. I do start with, and even like, you know, my Amazon deal starts June 1st and I'm making all new things. And I'm sitting with myself saying, why is today, what am I saying today? What do I want to say? What isn't out there? What space can I fill and, and talk about? What do I want to talk about? What am I trying to put out into the world? And often I just am trying to put out, uh, empathy, a hug. Like if to me on our best days, we are warm and loving and a hug and people watch it and feel better after. If that is all that it is, I'll take it because that's what I'm trying. That's the intention behind it. So I'm earnest about my nerdiness, 
I'm earnest about being, I care, I love my family, it's nerdy to say, but for me, whenever I had experienced negativity in the community, I would always say, oh man, I wish they could just come over to dinner. I wish they could just sit in my living room and talk to my mom and dad and my abuela and eat our food, and I wish we could do that. And that's what Multicam does. It's literally a couch. Yeah. The set is a couch, you yeah. know? And it's, it's, for me, when we put it out there, it's so personal. It's so about my, you know, Lydia is my, my abuelita's name, is Lydia Riera. That's her actual name. And Lydia is a mixture of my mom and my abuela, these very fierce, strong, beautiful, always a tacón, always a labio, always, you know what I mean? Like, uh, horror, my mother honestly horrified that right now I'm wearing like a chapstick. She's like, pinta, pinta, por favor, uh, yeah, <laughs> horrified, horrified. Um, so for me in the honoring of them, I just decided to be earnest. So on Twitter, I just decided to say to Twitter, this is before we even got canceled, but when we heard like, oh, we don't know in like season two, because every year we'd fight to come back. I said like, hey, listen, guys, it matters if you watch it all in one sitting. It matters if you watch five episodes. If you care about the show, if you like it, if you want more things like it, we have to support the ones that are out there. Yeah. So if you like it, watch five and tell a friend. Because yeah. I want to make more of this and I want more of these types of shows to exist. Right. So I was just honest, right? I was honest. And so a lot of people were like, oh my God, dude, I can't believe you. You know, that's like you're begging people. And I'm like, what? I fucking ain't too proud to beg, yo. I ain't too proud to beg. I'm too proud to say this is what it means to me. This is what it means to my community. And if people want to make fun of that, I don't care. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. So what I later found out was that tweet went viral internationally. And the scope, even though I, I'm trying to still understand what grandma doesn't know, but I guess there's your followers, but then there's also engagements and impressions and yeah. all that stuff. So Sony told me that that particular tweet went viral and it made people talk about the show more. And that ultimately it's one of the reasons we were picked up. Oh, so when I found out that that's power, yeah. that's yeah. power. And so what I realized is, Oh, my community actually likes it when I'm just honest, when I'm like, I don't know, I ain't fancy Hollywood. I'm trying to break through. Here's what I'm doing. If you like it, support it. Yeah. And that's now how I talk to them. So Twitter became a space, you know, it's obviously a dumpster fire as well, but it, it's a space that's been pretty kind to me and pretty loving to me. And so as a result, I try to give back and do advocacy and I try to give back and do Q and A's and try to, you know, let people peek behind the curtain. And when we were canceled, that's what I did again. I said, we, let's try to do a say vote out. Let's try to keep talking about it. And then it, it, it took on a whole new thing because not just the Latinx community, but also the LGBTQ community, like so many communities that felt seen and represented on the show were really vocal and loving, which I think is ultimately what, what brought us back. So um, it was just earnestness. Wow. Yeah. There's something about realness that really attracts people. Like they can identify with that kind of, that level of honesty of like, hey, if you, if you like this show, let's fight to save it. Let's fight for this kind of representation. And the fact that it went viral, like that's crazy. Well, and, and, you know, Andy Wheel, who I love, is, was our Netflix executive, you know, when I, I directed an episode of Mystery Iglesias season one, and he was like, it has to make you feel good that if your show hadn't done well, there's no way this show would exist. Wow. And I was like, oh, 
thank you. You know, I hadn't really thought about it in that way. And that does make me feel good. And it certainly makes me feel good hearing it from, from them, you know, that, that it was a factor in them making more Latinx content. Like that makes me, that makes me really, really happy because then it means it's working. Then yeah. it means that we, and, and also just being frank with people and saying like, look, I'm, I, we're all going to make mistakes along the way, but know the, the battle that we're fighting is a different battle, you know? And so I do feel like networks are still in a space where they feel like there can only be one and we need to educate them that that's not true, that it's not true that there can only be one. Like it broke my heart because I love Jaime Camille so much that he was on a sitcom and it got canceled and now we got no Latino leads on a CBS sitcom. You know, like, hey, put us in there. Put us in, put, put one day at a time in there. Start season one. Nobody has any content. Yeah. Put us in there, coach. And, and <laughs> coach. Put us in, coach. <laughs> <laughs> made waves. That's a big thing. Like, you made waves over at Netflix so that shows like Mystery Glaciers can exist. And we're hoping for more, not just streaming, but like for, for more networks, just regular networks to take notice and be like, Look, people are, are thirsty for these stories. People want these stories. Well, let me ask you, um, with that, because you said that your, the new deal starts June 1st. Yes. Yep. So that's, like, really exciting. It, it's, I, I think it was Variety that said um, when the new deal starts, I think the Sony deal changes a bit. So yes. you're going into more of an executive producer role on ODAT and more of, like, a, an authenticity consultant. So you're, very, you're in it, but it's on a different, in a different way. That's right. I don't even think people understand that, how important that is, because it's saying I've done, it's like having a baby and going, I've done my part. It exists out there. I'm always going to keep an eye on you. Yeah. The question is what's next? Like with Amazon, right? I mean, whatever you can share just in general for you, I'm assuming that's different. Yeah. I mean, it's different. It's different mostly because the studio is the network. So for those that don't know, there's three systems that you usually deal with when you're pitching. There's the pod, the producer deal. So there's pods within every studio. And the pod becomes a layer of, uh, it becomes a way to filter out noise. So the pod will choose a few projects that they think are good to take to the studio. And um, now I'm a pod. Now I am a pod. So I now take stuff to the studio. So my, my the history of them last year, just like us, which was a, a CBS sitcom that unfortunately also didn't go, but was fabulous about a Latino family that owned a restaurant. Um, they go through me. I guide those projects along. We sell them. And then I shepherd them into being made um, or not, or it stops because they don't pick up the show. So that's the first thing is the, is the producer deal. Then there's the studio. So the studio is who pays for the, for most of the work. And then they rent it out to the networks. So they take on the burden. And for years, the reason why syndication was a big deal is because the studio is in deficit. Because, for example, Friends, right? Let's say Friends was, I mean, these are not real numbers, but let's say Friends is $5 million to make. You know, NBC probably only paid a million an episode to air it so that there'd be a $4 million deficit until... And that would accrue. And then, then they get a $100 million deal and sell it. They make all their money back plus more. So that's how the studios were incentivized. And that's, that was the system for a very, very long time. So then networks, then what would start to happen is the studio and the network would be owned by each other, which is what's happening now, which is vertical integration. Sony has no network, but Paramount, 
is CBS. Is CW, CBS, Viacom is Paramount. Mm. Uh, Universal is NBC. Um, Disney is ABC, right? So like you have these things and now they kind of just like to buy, they still will buy from external studios, but for the most part, they want to buy from themselves because they want, because they want the vertical integration of the money to stay within the same pot. They don't want to be giving money out to make stuff. They want all the money to be homegrown for the most part. Amazon, and, and even with Netflix, Netflix now wants to be its own studio. So you have, like, Mystery Glaciers is Netflix for Netflix. One Day at a Time was Sony for Netflix. That's one of the things that may have hurt us in, in staying there because they just wanted to own their own content. So there's all these business things behind the scenes that people don't understand. For example, when Brooklyn Nine-Nine was canceled um, from Fox and then it was picked up by NBC, people were like, oh, my God, that's so amazing. And it was so amazing, but they already owned it. Right. Right. Universal already made it. They just had it on Fox. They just put it on NBC. So the paperwork and the legalities to make that happen could happen much faster because they already were the parent company that owned it. Right. And, you know, Vida, Vida, this is the third and final season of Vida. And people have been asking Tanya, oh, my God, why didn't you fight to try to get more seasons? She's like the studios, the network, like line. It's Vida. It doesn't have a place that they can sell somewhere else. Right. They made it four stars. Yeah. Right. It's Liongate stars joint. So you, you're done. And that's what happens to a lot of Netflix for Netflix shows. When Netflix for Netflix shows get, get canceled, that's it. Yeah. Because that was the studio and the network. So Amazon is the same way. They're the studio and the network. So I just have to pitch at one place. I don't have to go pitch at a thousand places. I just go and pitch to them a bunch of ideas. I have several that I'm so excited about. And I'm going to sit down with them and say, here's what I'm thinking. And then they're going to say, we like them. We don't like them. Go think some more. Um, but I get to be in creator mode again, which, which thrills me, thrills me. And, uh, I'm also really pleased because for the vast majority of my career, it's been begging, even on one day at a time, begging for, you know, we had to take cuts to go to pop. We, it's always begging for like, uh, uh, the songs that you talk about that mean so much to me. We had to cut songs. We don't have a lot of music this season. We can't afford it. Yeah. A song is a hundred thousand dollars. I don't have it. I don't have it in the budget, right? So it's like Amazon is like, like make what you want to make. We have the money. So it's like, I don't even, what? <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Who? So, you know what that's like? That's like having a rich boyfriend for the first time. And he's like, you can get the popcorn. And you're like, popcorn? <laughs> At a movie theater? <laughs> no, I dropped them in my purse. <laughs> what? I've never had this kind of luxury before. I've never had like, this kind of love. What? Large Popcorn? Can I get yeah. a <laughs> Is it free? Re it's not even free refills? <laughs> Shit, you must love me. Um, yes. He really, yeah. really loves me. Um, yeah. We do have a section of the show that we do called Dear Gina, where people write into the show for advice, and we all take a stab at giving them some advice. Ooh. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll take a stab at our Dear Gina this time around. Um, this dear Gina, I've just moved to a new city and I'm finding it really hard to make new friends at 40 years old. Do you guys have any tips or advice on how to make new friends when you're a bit introverted? Have you had any challenges in doing things that seem to come easier to you in your 20s? Wow. Um, that's a good question because I'm, I'm not a very social person. I'm not really good socially. Like I usually keep to myself. I don't like parties. I don't like bars. And I, I don't really go out much. So but there are times when I've had to force myself. And I think in my twenties, it was a little bit easier. I think for me, because not just because I was in my twenties, but because there were more activities for younger people. 
there were more like things that were geared towards younger people. Like if I had to go to a bar now, I'm like, uh, it's loud. I don't want to be here. Everybody smells. Come on, let's leave. Like I'm, I'm a little more cranky vieja about going to bars now. Yeah. But you do have to force yourself as somebody who's introverted. I have had to force myself to go to social functions. Like to be like, if somebody invites me to a thing to be like, all right, I'm going to go no matter how nervous it made me, no matter how much I, I, I would rather be home, I'm going to force myself to go. So I think there is a part of you that has to make it happen really at any age, but the older you get, the more stuck in your ways you tend to be. So it gets a little bit harder the older you get. Cause you're also like, I got all my friends. I'm good. Like I'm 40 now. I'm like, I got all my friends. I'm good. I got my, my group of friends. I don't need to meet no more new people. But I do, yeah, it is true. I think you need to force yourself, just just get out of your comfort zone a little bit. I also, I would add to that, that um, I find as I age, again, earnest and honest is like my code of honor, my badge of honor. And I almost revert to like a sixth grade self. Whereas when I meet somebody I really like, I will say, I like you. Can I be your friend? Can we be friends? Like, I'll just say that. And people are always like, yeah, like they don't know how to really respond to it, but that's how I, I'm like, I, li I like you. I like you. <laughs> I like you. We should be friends. We should yeah. be friends. Let's be friends. I mean, and people are like, okay, you know, <laughs> because it's, it's, why not? What are we doing? What are we doing, you guys? What are we, any games, any, what is happening? We're in a quarantine, life is short. If you like somebody to say like, hey, I, I would also say go, go do shit you like to do and meet the people that are at the places with the shit you like to do. Cause then yeah. you have common language. Yeah. If yoga's your thing or spinning's your thing or hiking or whatever, look at Sam, man. Library, whatever, you know, get it. But you, but to, to your point, Gina, you gotta leave the house. You gotta leave the house. You gotta have the bravery to say, I like you, let's be friends. <laughs> like, you have to have that. Yeah, you gotta, I mean, obviously, you can't leave the house right now. So, yeah, sorry. Don't, don't leave right, now. right now, no friends. Right now, do some self-work. Right now, take that <laughs> yoga class and do a sheet mask, okay? Like, that's what you're doing right now. But, when, but make it so that when you get out there, you're like, what's up, everybody? Here I am. You know, I like, you know. Yeah, I mean, literally, I'll be like, I like you. Yeah, come here. Give me your phone. Give me your phone. We should hang out. We should have coffee. That's, have That's it. That's it. Yeah. Listen, it, the earnestness is also why I'm a killer wing woman. Yeah. I am a ridiculous wing woman. Because you want to know, know what my approach is? Yeah. This is my for real approach, and I've done it, and it never has it not worked. Never has it not worked. I'm at a bar with friends. Oh, that girl's cute. Okay. What are you doing? Don't worry about it. And I'll walk up and say, hi there. Hello. My name is Gloria. You can look me up on the internet. I'm not a crazy person. I am a mother. I have two children. I'm happily married. Um, really pretty normal up in here. Um, that's my friend, John. Good guy. Went to Harvard. Writer. Uh, funny. Sweet. Sweet. I've known him for a really long time. He's very sweet. I feel comfortable telling you that a drink with him is pleasant. So he'd like to buy you a drink. Is that cool with you? I feel like you're going to have a nice time. And if not, you just say no thank you to him and off he goes. Wow. Every time they say yes. I'm yes, absolutely. because right now, right now, I'm like, who's John? He went to Harvard? Like, yeah. Don't get married, I'm young. Don't get that married is, now. That is oh. amazing. 
because I've always, I actually wrote a project with a friend of mine about being a wing woman and how good of a wing woman this character was because it was based on me. Oh, I mean, I grew up, I started comedy at 17. So I was around guys. I learned how to sort of bargain for them. Cause I was like, you guys don't know how to talk to women. I come from that world. Let me handle this for you. Cause you're going to be weird and <laughs> you're going to scare them. <laughs> Let me go and handle this. And that's a beautiful, perfect speech. Like you just, it yeah. just puts He's a woman's knees. Is he going to be crazy? Does he have some weird shit with his mom? A little bit. Like, you know what I mean? A little bit. But like, look, think about that later. Yeah, you worth going through. But I'm telling you, I feel very comfortable as a mother to see you two having a drink together. He'll pay for it. It's free. And as a mother, that's the cell right there. Oh, oh my God. Gloria, I need to. I need you to set me up because <laughs> that's the other part, though. I don't lie. So, like, there are some guys who are like, "Hey, hook it up." I'm like, "I'm not hooking up for you. Mm -mm. You gotta do better. You gotta do better, and I'll hook it up for you. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. You're not ready. Let them know. Let them know. Yeah. Do you have for, you gotta for get it person. together. Yeah. Listen, baby. Driving lift is not a full time job. Okay, <laughs> got it together, and Lyft is to make a little extra money. I'll talk to that girl for you. Okay, I love that. I love it. See, I think that for me, um, I mean, I guess so. The first time I went to LA was a few years ago when I first got like an opportunity out there and I went out for an internship a few months. I'm introverted, I quarantine is my happy place, so this to me is okay. Um, and I don't go out unless there's a purpose, but I realized I had nobody, like I knew nobody. And I started feeling like a crazy person who would want to talk to people on the bus because I was like, I need friends. I don't have nobody at all, at all. Um, I'm not going to lie. I didn't do it. And the months that I was there, I made no new friends, oh. but I, I regret that. I regret it because I kind of like, I was, there was a crutch in calling my friends, the ones in New York. There was, there was this um, overwhelming desire to like the people that I was working with thinking they had to be my friends. But knowing now that it was like, I lived um, in Echo Park. I lived right in front of the park. I could have went yes. to the park. Yes. I, there was so many things, but I think that for me, there was a culture shock. So I understand the whole new city thing um, as somebody who like, I didn't move knowing like I was going to go there for six months. It literally happened like in four days. So for me, it was, I don't know anything. The shock of even going, right? The shock of even going. Yeah. I think that it's really, like you said, if it's a spin class, something that feels like home. So if you were doing spin at home, do spin there. You will find somebody because people take the same classes at the same time. So I that's a big regret. I don't have many, but that's a regret. And if I were to do it again, now I think one in LA, I have more friends, but now I know how to go out a little bit more and just feel a little bit more confident in like, and if you don't like me, okay, nice to meet you. Thank you. Bye. Like that's it. Yeah. I don't, I don't regret you not making any new friends. She doesn't let me make new friends, by the way, Gloria, like just let you know, she'll literally, I'll be like, so I was at a bar with a person. She's like, no new bronze. <laughs> NMB. No. There will be no new people in your life. I'm <laughs> fine with that. I encompass all you need in a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all are cute. Y'all are cute. 
Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Like seriously, this was it was such an honor to have you on. It's such great such great conversation. I'm honestly such a fan. So funny. So great. Thank you for being out there doing the thing. Because it's hard. I know how hard it is to be out there and and you're you're doing it. You're doing it. So who are you? Congrats on everything. Congrats on the Amazon deal and everything that's to come. We're both very excited. Tell the people where they can find you. Uh, Please find me on Twitter and on Instagram. I really do live. Uh, I do Instagram lives where I'll answer questions. I do uh, tweet. I do live tweeting when I'll be like, I have 30 minutes. What do you want to know? And I'll answer questions. And a lot of the questions are helpful to people. I also have a free Hollywood 101 class on YouTube that I did with Better Like. That's 10 episodes about how to be a TV writer, but I think it's applicable to any artist trying to break through. Um, it's free. Uh, and uh, watch one day at a time. Uh, 9.30 is on Tuesday on Pop. We have an animated episode coming hopefully in June. I'm so excited to see that animated episode. And, uh, yeah, we got some pretty good guest stars. So, because people are home, so they're available. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah. It's uh, thank you guys so much. Thank you for doing this. You're both just goddamn delights. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, uh, you're Gloria Calderon Kellett on both IG. And- I am no better. What am I? I'm everything Gloria on Twitter. Okay. Okay. I'm everything Gloria. Yes. Everything Gloria on. No. What am I? <laughs> yeah. Everything Gloria on Twitter. And I'm Gloria Kellett on. It wouldn't let me have a long name on, on, yeah, I'm Gloria Kellett on Instagram. Okay. They wouldn't let me have my Galdadon. But I, oh, but my name is there. So if you type in Gloria Galdadon Kellett, I should, I should still come up. They okay. can literally Google you. It'll yeah, come up. Google It'll pop up. Just Google It'll pop up. All of it will pop up. Everything Gloria. More than you've ever wanted to see. <laughs> It'll all, it's all on the internet. It really is. Um, Catherine, tell the lovely people where they can find you. Um, as on Instagram, it's at Catherine G. Mendoza. I'm gonna do that right now. Yeah. <laughs> on Twitter, it's at Kathy Grace24, and Catherine at Catherine G. Mendoza on TikTok as well. I'm doing the TikTok, guys. She's yeah. talking. She's talking. Okay. Don't do it. It's obsessive. It, it really is obsessive, and you're very entertaining on on the TikTok. <laughs> I feel like a creep on TikTok. Like I'm too old for TikTok. I'm like, you kids, what are you doing? I think I'm too old too, man. I don't I'm like, what are you doing with your crazy? You really, you're not. The thing is, TikTok is brilliant. If you figure out your audience, TikTok finds the audience for you. All you need to know Catherine, is. I can't find you on. What are you on on uh, Twitter? At Kathy K A T H I E G R A C E two four. Kathy Grace. Kathy Grace. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, if you literally with TikTok, the secret is what's your voice once you figure that out. So if your voice is the wing woman, give wing woman advice. And, t- and I'm telling you, once TikTok figures out, oh, she got 300 views on this. We're going to feed it to everyone. And every video will be fed to that same group. Yeah. It happens like it was one video. I got 200, uh, 200K. Just because of one video. What's my audience? New York. Yeah. That's what I figured out. Yeah. Wow. Catherine's like a digital online social media genius. Just in case you're curious. She really <laughs> She really is. Um, you guys know you can find me at G Brion on Instagram. 
uh, Gina Brion on everything else, uh, including the Twitter, which I am very rarely on the Twitter. And on the TikTok, you can see a couple of those videos up there too. Um, you can watch my special. Uh, I forgot the name of my damn special, girl. This pregnancy brain. Um, <laughs> Easily Offended is on HBO. And another special I have coming out on Amazon called The Floor is Lava will be out soon. I'll keep you guys posted on that. Find me on Cameo if you guys want a personalized video. I just did my first one for a really I'm good- on Cameo. I'm on Cameo. Cameo. Oh my God. Yes. 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 All, Cameo. All my cameos go to the LA Food Bank. So help yes. me say hi to somebody. I just money. had my first Cameo video that I got to shoot, which was for a company called Metalhead, which they, um, they are raising mental health awareness. So it was like a great cause. And I was so glad that they contacted me. So if you have anything or you work for a company and you like a shout out, just hit me up on Cameo. It's uh, at Gbrione on Cameo. And you know, I love to leave the podcast with a piece of advice my mom gives me to this day. Uh, whenever life is throwing a lot at you, remember guys, take it one catastrophe at a time. Now we love you. Thank you, Gloria. Again, you were Gloria. wonderful. Thank you both. So lovely talking to you guys. This was amazing. Thank you so much. That was my pleasure. All Thank right. You. Stay in touch, y'all. Stay in touch. Bye. Bye. Okay. Yeah. Do it like that. Yeah. You the kind of chick that's ready to fight back. Yeah. Looks damn good, but really she tight bad. Mm-hmm. Go to sleep, I call him my night cat. Night. Born killer. You a born killer. Mm. Go on, get him. Go on, go on, get him. Mm.